0: Welcome to the Radio Survivor Podcast. We're going to launch into the radio show momentarily, but I just wanted to begin today. Uh, we're so happy to be podcasting again. Jennifer Waits put together today's episode. Our guests are Brady C.L. Marks and Mark Timmings. Welcome to you both. Hello. We'll, Hello. Do, a, we'll do a better job introducing you as the radio <laughs> show begins momentarily. Just for the podcast audience, we wanted to start off by having you uh, make your pitch to radio stations about this project that we're excited about that you're sharing with us today on Radio Survivor.
1: Sure, maybe I can start um, just by saying what our our radio show is. Um, We call it a slow radio broadcast. It's a 24-hour long recording of uh, a wetland soundscape here on Saturna Island in British Columbia. We're right on the... Border with the San Juan Islands uh, on the U.S. border. And um, the program is basically radio stations turn over the airwaves to the creatures for 24 hours. And other than voiceovers for station ID when they're required and a very, very brief explanation of what people are hearing, it's we're just listening to the sounds of the marsh on Earth Day. So it's a kind of celebration, a, a reconnection, to the natural world. Maybe I can let Brady um, add to that.
2: Yeah, I think the the point that I always come back to is that it's because it's in 24 hours and we go uh, in like a loop, we have these 24-hour loops that we go every day and they're called days and we play the sounds at the same time that they were recorded. So if you look at your watch and it's 7.02, that what you're hearing is 702, whether that's PM or AM is immaterial. And so it's a kind of a clock and it's a clock that reconnects you back to the circadian rhythm. We've co-evolved with that soundscape uh, in various versions of it, but it has um, an effect of, sort of re-centering us or re-aligning um, ourselves to that circadian rhythm. And the other point I, I'd like to make about the uh, slow radio broadcast is that it's compatible with other media consumption. So this is this is not something we expect you to sit down and listen to. It's not a concert for 24 hours, but we would like you to um, spend time with it doing your usual things and sort of reflect on what that effect um, prompts you to, how it changes you, how... Um, how opening a window to this wetland and uh, sort of this primordial soundscape, as it were, affects you. And I think of it as a clock. I was saying a slow clock that slides. We can talk about other things. How it's connected to other uh, patterns of media consumption. Why we call it slow radio. All those kinds of things. Yeah, but that's a good start.
0: And we're 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 talking about it in the podcast. Uh, before the radio show because we want to let uh, listeners know who are um, producers at radio stations or staff yeah. at radio stations or run radio stations that this 24 uh, hour wetland project of slow radio is um
1: available for broadcast how uh, mark tells about it I just wanted to add that this is going to actually be on Earth Day, which is April 22nd every year, uh, our seventh year doing this broadcast. Um, We started back in 2017 with one radio station. And since then, we've grown to having 25 different radio stations, mostly in Canada and the US and a bit in Europe um, joining in. um, And uh, the interesting thing is once, a radio station joins we've had like most of the stations that have joined have come back year after year there seems to be a good connection with audience and it's it's quite simple that we supply it's it's completely free we supply um 1 hour um MP3 files, um, which um, represent each hour of the day. So we hope that most stations will actually play the full 24 hours, but sometimes stations uh, have certain, they can only play a certain number of hours a day, which is totally fine as well so they just take whatever files they require and um, then all they have to do is add in their station id that we um brady does some voiceovers just once every half hour that very very briefly describe what the listener is hearing and um we find that if we talk too much the listeners get kind of yeah they don't like it they want to (laughs) they want to hear the frogs and the sounds and (laughs) I,
0: i imagine that you know if we have anybody in the audience who is a you know, who, who, who runs a radio station, they can make a decision to air the 24 hours. But if we have people in the audience who are responsible for one hour of radio, it's not, it's not uh, impossible to believe that they would, uh, that they would participate in that way.
3: Well, I'm also yeah. curious if, um you know, do they have to participate on earth day on April 22nd? Or what if there's somebody, you know, who can't on that particular day, will you accept radio stations who might want to air an hour of it later in the week.
2: Sure. Why not? I I think think
3: that
2: within that week, it's great. Like one of the ways I think about this is uh, sort of like the, the Yule log uh, in for for Christmas, we're trying to become the Yule log of uh, Earth day and make Earth day as big uh, as Christmas. I mean, if those the Star Wars fans out, they will know about life day. That's another uh, touchstone. So it is a it is a very much about this mediated experience in a weird way, but um, returning to the original soundscape, as it were.
0: When you're referencing a Yule log, I imagine like how you can you know go over to Netflix if you subscribe, or just YouTube, and throw the Yule log up on your television. Mm-hmm. for hours and hours to and instead of just throw you know if you don't have a uh, you a log to throw into a real fireplace or you would prefer not to your wetland project slow radio event is is a lot like that where you're you're taking this natural sound and you're you're you're, you're giving it uh to the world at the at the appropriate time i really like the idea i hope i just want to do a um i want to make sure i get the dawn chorus primarily that uh, mm-hmm. to me that's gonna that's the that's prime time for listening mm-hmm. to the wetlands I could uh, I could be wrong. but um, if radio stations want to participate or staff members at radio stations want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get in touch?
1: The best way to get in touch would just be to email us at uh, it's um, really simple. it's info at wetlandproject.com. We do send out sort of an invitation through whatever groups we can, but I'm um, that there's a lot of, it's hard to reach everybody, but um, yeah. The other part that was really good besides the dawn bird, bird chorus, I mean, it's all quite wonderful, but there's a beautiful moment at dusk when it transitions from the bird, like the, the last birds of the day. And then it goes almost completely silent for a few minutes. And then the frog chorus, just like, goes crazy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Good point. Are you a frog person or are you a bird person? Are you a dawn or a dusk?
2: Some of the stations have used the Wetland uh, Project as a fundraising drive. And we're totally open to that um, because it is quite uh, sort of a monumental event. And we have no problem with your community radio station using it as a sort of like ancillary to fundraising
3: welcome to radio survivor we're here for the love of radio and sound my name is jennifer waits
0: hello everybody erica klein here
3: and on this edition of the show we are talking about slow radio and an upcoming earth day radio broadcast focusing on natural sounds our guests are artists brady marks and mark timmings and they are the creators and producers of the seventh annual Wetland Project Slow Radio broadcast that's taking place April 22nd, 2023. Brady Marks is a digital media artist working primarily in audiovisual practices, new media and kinetic art. And she's also a member of the Soundscape Collective at Vancouver Cooperative Radio and a frequent host of Soundscape on Co-op Radio. Mark Timmings is a multidisciplinary artist who explores perceptions of place by appropriating data and enfolding them into the domain of art. Brady and Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Survivor.
2: Hello. Hello. Thank you. And uh, hello to everyone listening. Kindred spirits, all of you.
3: (laughs) Kindred spirits. Why don't we start by just talking, first of all, about what the Wetland Project is is. Maybe, Mark, you could give us a brief synopsis. The
1: Wetland Project It's based on the soundscape of a fairly tiny wetland, actually, um, the Tuktaksen Wetland here on Saturna Island in British Columbia. Um, Saturna is right on the border of the U.S., um, right across from the San Juan Islands and the wetland is just beside my house. So um, it's something that I live with every day. And um, in a way, the wetland project was a way to, for me to get closer to what was actually happening in the wetland and to understand better the creatures that were living there. There's also airplane sounds in our, you know, that we hear. it's based on a 24 hour recording that we made of this wetland. And um, we've shared, um, Brady and I share it in many different ways. One of the major ways being an annual 24 hour slow radio broadcast. We also have done um, new media installations, five channel installations, which have been shown in various places around the world. And um, even we've even written uh, music with my collaborator Stephen Morris, musicologist Stephen Morris. Um, we've transcribed as accurately as possible some of the sounds of the wetland. So it's quite an extensive um, exploration of this soundscape.
3: Mark, I wanted to talk a little more about that kind of origin story. You know, you're living by this wetland and and what what made you, what prompted you to make that first recording and what were your first recordings like?
1: Um it it was part of an ex what as in my artistic practice I'm very interested in connecting with where I am in many different ways I've done some projects based on the, the tidal dynamics um in the bay beside the house and wind projects on musical projects on wind storms and <laughs> various things so uh the wetlands it was just something you know I had my my window open and cracked open at night, and I I would fall to sleep hearing the frog chorus and during the day um, all the different birds and not really knowing the names of the various birds. And I just had this real desire to connect with this place where I live. And um, I think that has a little bit of a history in the fact that as a newcomer to Saturn, I mean, I've been living here since 1997, but um, as what we call a settler, basically. Um, um, also, I was I just really felt um, a strong desire to to find a way to connect to this place where I felt somewhat of a, a foreigner in a way.
3: So then things kind of went to this whole new level when Brady got involved. So so Brady, you came to the project in twenty sixteen, and then came to the area and and worked to make recordings on the site and I've read a little bit about the process but I'd love to hear you describe what all you guys were recording um what the setup was like
2: yeah we worked with a professional sound recordist named Eric Lamontang who works in the film industry um I, I've had a long uh, history with sound art and um, since uh, 2003. Um, working in Vancouver with the sort of legacy of the World Soundscape Project at SFU. And um, for this project, um, we did actually six, cha- uh, sorry, 10 channels of audio recording at some like 192 kilohertz. And it was pretty insane. So we um, we used Eric's um, recording uh, equipment because he had it all. And we made this like mobile rink rig and um, we had two stations. The one was on like a ladder out into the marsh. And the other one was um, this five pronged array on a log. And that's the one we hear and the log sticks out into the marsh. And because it's a recording that takes so long, we were were able to withdraw and um, go back to Mark's house and have a glass of wine and that really allowed the marsh to recover from our presence and start to, uh, turn on the, turn on the fancy, fancy effects (laughs) that they do there. And I don't know if you've encountered this, um, this kind of idea that when you walk through the bush or, um, and you go out into nature, everything kind of quiets down around you and you have to sit there for about 20 minutes for, to recover from your presence. And because we're gone for hours, it really does recover. So there's some very beautiful close mic nuances, but also this um, sense of an auditorium of the whole sort of marsh, uh, the sense of place as the sounds reverberate, reverberate around this little um, amphitheater of the marsh. And so acoustically, it's very dynamic. It's um, it's, it gives you the sense of time, sense of place, um, there's beautiful details. And there's also the sort of, um, ethnographic and Anthropocene uh, presence. So we have uh, passing helicopters and cars and dog walkers and airplanes. So it's by no means pristine and no means romanticized. It is an, uh, a microcosm of of that moment and of that place, but it speaks to a, a much broader situation that we all find ourselves in.
3: So this is a 24-hour... Well, how many hours Brady? How many hours were
2: we had thirty six hours on tape, but we have a twenty four hour loop and we play it in sync with the time it was recorded so when you're listening to it, you're hearing the the clock face time that it was recorded so if' seven oh three a m you're hearing seven o three a m so we present that on multiple radio stations on earth day but it's also on our website available anytime you need it that's wetlandproject.com and if you just want to see the just want to listen in if you're on, perhaps on mobile you could go to wetlandproject.com/stream stream like that brook
1: Yes, and that um, synchronizes automatically with local time wherever you are in the Mm -hmm. world. So even if you're in London, England, and you're listening at 6 a.m., you'll hear the recording from 6 a.m.
3: That's amazing. I love that. Um, We're
2: both there and here (laughs) for
3: (laughs) you. So mark can you or you know mark or Brady can you talk about the process of transforming these 36 hours of recording into this 24 hour broadcast or stream <laughs> that we hear on the web of of wetland project what was that process like doing the editing and getting it all together into a 24 hour package
2: so we we started with five channels and we do have a version that's um, shown in galleries where all five channels are used, but we then did a stereo mixdown, and we had to really just choose that loop point. Um, so which 24 hours, and because there's sort of, I would say three main um, ensembles or uh, three main episodes of um, phases, phases is a good word. There's the dawn chorus, as you would expect. There's sort of this languid afternoon, and then there's this intense um, uh, frog chorus, and so we decided that we would let the frog chorus finish, and that's uh, that's where the loop is. You'll you'll never find it, but it's it's somewhere in the early early morning.
1: Yeah some stations and- have played had played it for more than 24 hours. We have I think the record was 36 hours on a radio station in Toronto. So they just go around the loop and it's seamless. Yep. Mm-hmm.
3: That's amazing. Yeah, do you, uh- And
2: this there's no edits besides that. We did a little bit of um volume. Like we take the 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 folk chorus can be really intense and um uh, we were saying earlier, you're a dawn chorus person, or you're a frog chorus person, <laughs> and and Mark describes this beautiful moment. Why did not you describe that, Mark? You talk about your experience with, with the with the
1: frogs. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm the talking, thing I'm talking about, um, the moment, like the the dusk moment when. Uh, oh no.
2: Now, you described how sometimes you went down there and you got. Oh, ready.
1: yes. When when I was doing some very early recordings, I just did a, a before we, we made our main recording with Eric. Um, I would go over to the wetland with a small recorder and just record five minutes at all different times of the day and right. sometimes in the middle of the night. And um I mean the frog chorus from the house here. It, it, it's it's quite lovely and it's not too intense. But I'd get to the edge of the marsh and I'd be in the standing in the dark in the woods with my little recorder, and it was so loud it just made the, all the hair on the back of my neck stand up. <laughs> At one point I just got freaked out. I just had this feeling I was going to get dragged into the marsh by all these. Frogs, so I ran <laughs> back to the house.
0: <laughs> what, oh my god! <laughs> is there is there a particular season that you chose to record in? It does spring in th- this particular wetland sound different than? Oh yes, yeah. Yeah, it's so?
1: definitely. Well, we we wanted to um, connect the idea for for the radio broadcast to some kind of event. And Earth Day seemed like a natural one because it is right in the middle of um, springtime when all the birds are migrating and the frogs, um, I mean, the frogs sing for a period from about um, mid-March until June. So it's right in the middle of that very intense period of lots of activity. Um, the Saturn is kind of, um, it's for Canada, it's a very mild climate. It's, um, right. um, That's and the island so- that
0: that you are currently speaking to us from,
1: Saturna. Yes, exactly. And um, so we have a lot of listeners in the prairie provinces of Canada, where in April it's still, like, really cold. <laughs> right. It's still very wintry. And so the broadcast for them has, an, you know, kind of another another role as sort of a harbinger of spring to come.
3: And so the recording was made on Earth Day as well? Um, Slightly
1: off.
2: It's like two days, I think, right?
1: 2016? 26. Yeah, it was in we did the recording in 2016, April 26 and twenty seventh. So uh, I think it was weather dependent because it, it actually we wanted to get uh, do the recording when all the equipment was out where it wasn't raining or so that was as close as we could get. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah it, so, was
2: a, it was important that We do it at this time of the year because the light levels really dictate the, I mean, if you want to use words like composition, the composition or the flow of it, um, and it doesn't correspond to a southern hemisphere. Obviously, the seasons are flipped there and the light levels are flipped there. So we're really celebrating the fact that the recording is coming in sync with the light levels of this time of the year again. So it's, it has its sort of resurgence in terms of it, um, this idea of it reconnecting to our rhythms and it's coming back in sync to the, the everyday experience that our li- the listeners are having because we, we're going through that same cycle every day. So if you do listen to it on, in the Southern hemisphere at this time of year, or at a different time of the year uh, in the Northern hemisphere, it's a little bit, out of sync like um you can really notice it. how the the sunset um it everything slows down and it quietens down i i call it the helm's deep moment because mm. uh if any of you are there are um students of film sound you'll know that there's that epic moment where or in most films we take the sound levels right the way down and you and you go very quiet just because you want the next sound to have the most impact and and what happens is that everything really quietens down before the um, at sunset, and then we we eventually get just after sunset we the, the frogs emerge,
1: which is that's quite a powerful um, moment. We get we also have a a, a Twitter feed um, which um, we announce on the radio uh, that people can tweet to um, at Wetland Project. Um, and it's also on our website platform. So besides the radio show, we, we have this whole international conversation going on. And as things happen in different time zones, people come in and the frog, the beginning of the frog chorus is always like, there's always a wave of, (laughs) of tweets coming in like, Oh my God, the frogs are starting to sing.
2: (laughs) And when we've presented it in a more gallery context, it's, it's Mm -hmm. always like, um, a very dramatic moment where people will sort of sneak back into the gallery and wait uh wait through the silence for that sort of breaking of the silence and and yeah it's it's very surprising how um dramatic this um in sort of like a narrative sense it, it becomes since there is no uh composer and there's no um there's there's no imposed narrative structure, but we as as humans re- really like that, and we impose.
0: Sure, and I mean, <laughs> um, throughout all of human history, until until our current era, where we have media choices to make at all hours of every moment of our lives, a lot more people would have had this opportunity to connect mm-hmm. with their with their with their soundscape where they live. They would have known about yes. frogs if they lived anywhere near any frogs. Mm. Yeah.
3: I'm, it has me thinking about it You know, as a piece of art. It's reminding me of, of watching early silent Warhol films that go on and on for hours and hours that where not much action happens like Empire where it's a shot of the Empire State Building. And I remember watching that in a theater and getting so excited when, a light mm-hmm. would go on in a window because yeah. there would be some sort of change. Um, so it makes me think about that a little bit and, and that helps me maybe to understand um, why you're calling this slow radio. So maybe that's a good, maybe it's a good time to talk about slow radio. And am I using, am I thinking about slow radio in the right way? Um, as as a way to describe this pacing of what you're seeing being a little bit different and a little bit unexpected, Brady, you might be a good yeah. person to answer that question. Um,
2: so the whole slow media movement, I guess, was most um, has been most explored uh, through the Norwegian uh, national broadcaster, where they did um, a slow TV. They do an annual slow TV broadcast. And um the first one I think was in 2009. They did a seven-hour train ride along the Bergen line and broadcast that um as a complete um piece. And then the year after that they had a woman knitting. And then I witnessed this one, which was the um HMS Nord uh Nord Nordger. I don't know how to pronounce it, Nordnorga. It's basically a mail ship that goes on a fjord so I'll, I'll tell you the full story. I was in um Oslo for um a friend's uh opening I was assisting a friend Judy Radul, on an art project there and um which was my job for many years uh working sort of ancillary to other people's art projects so we you know I go all over the world and then spend most of the time in a in a white walled uh room without any windows and then I'd go back to at the end of a long day I'd go back to a hotel and I went back to this hotel and I switched the hotel tv on and usually you'd have one of those like promo things that would play where it'd be like some people running across a beach right so I see this um the sunset and I'm like okay I'm waiting for the music to come in and the happy people yeah And it just didn't happen. I just kept on watching and the sun just wouldn't set, the sun. And then then there'd be a cut to a fjord coastline, which would just slide by. And just this eternal sunset, this real-time nature and it's high quality TV. And then suddenly, uh, not suddenly, eventually there was a shot of a small dockside and the whole town, all the townsfolk had come. Out to greet this mail ship. So what was going on was that they strapped all these uh, high quality cameras to a mail ship, and they were just editing the feed live. Oh wow. And it, it went on for seven seven days, I think, um, as this um, as the ship went up the f- fjord coastline, and mm-hmm. that really left an impact on me. And of course, at that time, we were talking about uh, slow slow cooking as opposed to fast food. And um, mm. the parallels between slow media and um, and fast media started to occur to me. And I did a project um, where I walked across Prince Edward Island for, uh, for seven days mm. and just streamed that straight as well at that point um, with an uh, artist, Danielle um, Alain, uh Gautel. And um, so it was around that time when Mark and I started talking and we we used this framing of slow radio and slow media to describe this this aspect of the wetland project because it's uh, sort of one of its legs that it has.
0: That's the voice uh-huh. of Brady C.L. Marks. Uh, she was referring to her, her partner with this in this project, Mark Timmings. They both work on uh, the wetland project, which is a 24-hour radio recording of the Tuk Tuk Sen marsh that's right outside of Mark's window in um, uh, the island known as Saturna Island in British Columbia. My name is Eric Klein. My co-host is Jennifer Waits. You're listening to Radio Survivor. We're talking about the Wetland Project. And it occurs to me, Brady, that fast media, normal media, sells things really well. That's kind of why it's so fast it goes and goes and goes and we buy things that we see and slow media is just like terrible for it, it there's nothing commercial about it like you can't you can sell nothing <laughs> if you if you watch seven hours of a boat traveling down the fjords of ice was it iceland norway it was Norway. norway um there's no there's no uh there's no advertising hell. revenue
2: you might not make a lot of money, but you will have find something of value. I assure yeah. you.
0: Well, yeah, there's no, there's, <laughs> there's no money to be made in the Tech Tech and Marsh either. Oh.
1: Hopefully. No, it's uh, I guess all about just bringing people in to live with it for a bit. It's it's more of a living experience than a commercial selling experience. <laughs> right. Which,
0: here at Radio Survivor, we celebrate media that that exists outside of the the fast media ecosystem where 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 you know there's a, there's a lot of other reasons to listen to things and to watch things and to make media that's why we make this show
3: Mark you know the so we've been talking about the slow radio aspect of this what what caused you to think about even broadcasting this on the radio in the first place you know were you thinking about that before you brought Brady in to collaborate was the idea we're going to record this and then broadcast it over the radio for twenty four hours. Like, why was radio so important to you? Um,
1: well, I'm a radio listener. I um, we have something called the CBC in Canada, which I think everybody listens to constantly. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, radio was important to me. And I, I kind of felt like I wanted to share what I was experiencing somehow. Um, with other people and um, also just to give people a rest from all the craziness. Um, and it it's it's really a way,, um, and also just to to open up this whole idea that um, that nature is not something that's separated from us. Um, somehow, in the Western world, we've gotten to this point where, where nature and human beings are are in two different realms when in fact we're not and um so it was a way to bring the outside inside because you know nature is out there and we live in the house and or we're you know in our office or whatever or in our car and um it was a way to mix that up and also people are very um a lot of people listen to radio now on their phones and things too so it was a way to Get into people's devices because people seem to be p- paying a lot of attention to <laughs> devices, and um, we found that people actually um, seem to really h- listen to the a, a soundscape like the wetland soundscape more when they're listening to it on their radio or on their on their phone than when they're actually standing right there beside the wetland. Somehow they it's blocked out, and um, um, so it was a way to kind of bring this whole thing back into our own rhythms. And and we, and when we're, you know, uh, it's not like a, as Brady said, it's not like a concert that you sit down and listen to. It's just playing in your environment as you're going about your day and about your living. And when you're making dinner, what are you hearing? When you're heading to bed, what is the sound of, you know, in the wetland, um, when you wake up and you start to make connections between um, what you're doing and what's happening in the wetland. Um, I The story that, uh, one of the stories I really like is my neighbor, uh, Tony down the road, who lives right in the proximity of the wetland. Um, he wrote to us, I guess about two years ago, he finally listened to our broadcast and he wrote us an, a, a message saying that I finally, he said, not really listened to, I lived with the broadcast for 24 hours. And he describes, um um, going to bed and uh, and having this hearing this sound of the frogs and the frogs every once in a while they drop out it gets very quiet we almost flirt with dead air but because we're brought there so naturally it's not it's not um, frightening in any way um, there's always a tiny little sound there somewhere and then then and then the sounds come up so there's this is kind of um, this wave of of sound that flows through the evening and then he described waking up in the morning and um opening the door and walking out into the into the forest and and hearing the birds sing almost like he'd heard them for the first time and he had tears in his eyes so it was a it actually sensitized him in some funny way to the soundscape that he'd actually been living with for many years and we received a lot of messages of a similar nature to that um yeah, the whole radio thing came about
2: really as an extension of the Soundscape show. So um, we we preempted... So the Soundscape show is usually an hour long on co-op radio um, from 9 to 10 on 7. Uh, that, sorry, on Wednesdays.
0: Brady, tell us about co-op radio first. For oh, uh,
2: co-op radio is a, um, a co-op structure. Um, it's a member operate uh, member run, um, a volunteer it's similar, I think, to the states in terms of your
0: uh, right. I'm not sure what you call them. Um, you know, listener sponsored. Well, volunteer run radio, radio. Yeah,
3: radio. Community
0: radio. Community radio. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. You were, Brady, you we're talking about uh, Canada, where there's already something that listeners in the United States would 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 hear more like an NPR, National Public Radio, but in Canada, it's the government sponsored. Yes, so we like have
2: membership drives, but. Um, there is a, a bit more, I would say, uh, public funding available. Yeah. So it's not... A co-op radio. Yes, yeah, it's, it's cooperatively um, run. And so um, the show has been running actually since the 80s. We had uh, Hil- a sound, Hildegard, a Soundscape, a soundscape show. show. Yeah. yeah, the Soundscape show. And so what we can do often is we can preempt, uh, like usually you would preempt your neighbor. If you're doing try, like doing a two-hour show, mm-hmm. you would you would t- take a two-hour show. So what we did was we preempted everyone. And uh, so that's how we, we got the first one going, the first 24-hour radio station. And uh, like Mark was saying, like audio and the whole podcast thing, it's it's just such an intimate um, medium. And like my this microphone here is three inches from my mouth. And so I'm literally um, whispering in your ear right now. And and you don't really get that sense in a in in cinema. It's it, the scale is 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 grander, and uh, even even TV. They talk about TV as being the pocket. The the pocket shot is the attention. Uh, the the staple shot. So you have a host, and their shot. The shot is like from just below the pocket to just above the head. So like the the. presenter of the news and you have a personal relationship with them but it's still a sort of shaking arms distance whereas we listen to to uh audio in this in our in our waking moments our our, um, sleeping moments and while we're distracted and those are very powerful moments um because they're they're patterning us and um so I really do love radio and um this is an extension or sort of a homage to radio, but also a writing of radio's darker past. Uh radio is highly implicated with um propaganda and um and the birth of mass media and indoctrination propaganda and right. uh the the dark history of the use uh in the second world war. So I w- yeah.
3: I wanted to just go back because you um you started to uh, tantalizingly talk about the history of soundscape radio. And, um, and I want to hear more about that. Um, I think you were saying it's been around since the eighties. So can you tell us more about the origin of the show?
2: Okay. So the soundscape uh, tradition um, and the word soundscape comes from the seventies when um, uh, R. Murray Schaefer, a academic was given a position at uh, Simon Fraser University. And he started to explore uh, the sort of limits of sound composition and accepting all sounds, uh, not just musical sounds, not, and um, using them, using the compositional framework of listening. So making something musical because of that attention to it and not based on the content. And then the World Soundscape Project, which was really a study of uh, five different cities around the world, was the sort of big work there that rippled uh, throughout the world and even changed listeners such as John Cage. John Cage references um, the World Soundscape Project and Ari Maury Schaefer as an influence for um, the experimental techniques that led to um, his stochastic uh, works, his... uh, uh, works that are indeterminate in terms of their content and structure because- I will
0: jump in and say that i i just recently learned about the john Cage composition that 's just seven and a half minutes of whatever's going on in the room where it 's being performed, and that 's it so it's mm-hmm. it's exactly <laughs> it's exactly the soundscape where it 's being performed and nothing else yeah four thirty three thank you wrong wrong I doubled it i'm ready <laughs> 'm ready for twice as much soundscape yeah. as the average uh, audience Brilliant. I'm sorry. I interrupted. Um, so anyway, so a history
2: lesson will conclude briefly. I just wanted to say that because that is the legacy. That is where I I went to school. That is um um the sort of legacy that I'm continuing in this in this different way. Um but then the the co op radio um the specific show that I um have been producing and that uh, the Slow Radio, Wetland Slow Radio Project um, debuted on, was, um, that show has been running since the 80s, and um, Hildegard Westerkamp, who's probably the foremost uh, soundscape composer, practicing uh, soundscape composer, coming out of this tradition as well, he ran that show for many years and would just go out and do these very long streeters. For those of you who know radio terminology, that's when you go onto the street and and get like a soundbite of say a popular event but she would um, you know interview people and do sound walking and sound walking is as another um, practice that's a very adjacent and very um, important to the soundscape since uh, soundscape uh, acoustic ecology discipline and this all came about um, during the 70s when in Vancouver Greenpeace was starting and there was a it was a movement to to really explore the natural environment and explore the value of it. And this was the acoustic part of it. And um, things like the acoustic niche hypothesis came out of that from um, uh, Bernie Krauss, talking about how sounds have their place both in frequency and both in time. So that uh, in a soundscape, if you listen to it, it has Um, the different sound makers, because they don't want to mask and and talk over top of each other, they will choose a frequency band or a sound, um, spot, uh, time spot where they, uh, where they talk. And so they create space for each other. And so you get this beautiful, um, this, even the concept of what is beautiful then becomes this idea of choosing your spot and staying in, in your niche and not talking over each other, which is just Brady. such a lovely metaphor for, for cooperation and listening and um, and being in in place together.
3: Brady,
0: you just described um, people talking. Were you? Do you mean people?
2: All all sound makers.
0: Yeah, including because because it, it, the your anecdote just reminded me of um, the thing I learned from a friend about how the natural world. I'm sure it's the same. I'm sure his source is exactly the same. The natural in the natural world the the frogs who are singing at the same time as a as a, another animal in the mm-hmm. in the in the marsh and but it, this happens everywhere on earth they'll pick their spaces so that they yes. can be heard yeah
2: um, so, so for example birds uh, in the city will sh- sing higher than uh, some in the country because right. they are trying to um find a niche above the traffic sound
0: and I, um i learned that oh go ahead
2: I was just gonna say the frogs are doing the opposite, it's acoustic camouflage, they're all talking at the same time so that they don't get picked out by the uh sowed owl owl. <laughs> the,
1: the predators, yes. Yeah, the predators, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I that, that know, niche those... apo- I was gonna say the niche hypothesis, that's um Bernie Krause, and he he's uh, based in um California.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and that the the kicker there is that you can tell the health of the environment by what's missing from the soundscape. That's acoustic there's...
1: ecology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so, the whole. So if you basis. go out
0: into the world and record it and notice that uh, something is missing, then you can probably uh, find out exactly which animal it is that is missing that used to live in that region that's gone. Uh... Right.
2: And if you're listening and you don't hear anything, then it's literally too quiet. Like that whole Again, the movie trope. It's quiet. It's yeah, too it's quiet. Tight. Something's wrong when well, there's something missing. And you talk about food deserts. You could talk about gaps in the um in the acoustic horizon as right. well. So um yeah, it's a uh, sound can be used as a way of analyzing and revealing the health and I would say uh, beauty of a an environment.
0: And, and what's exciting? And, oh, I just wanted to mention how um usually we think of radio or i think radio is normally being used to broadcast the sound of like the best ideas of the city or the worst ideas the propaganda emanating from the big city and it's going out to the world it's going out to the quieter places so they can hear the ideas of what's going on in 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 in, in the densest urban environments of of the countries but this is you know the opposite really with the with your wetland project you're bringing the sound of nature, you know, into people's cars on the freeway. Mm
1: -hmm. Mark. Yeah, I I just wanted to add to that, that in a way, just this whole thing of bringing um, the soundscape to people's awareness. I, I mean, so many people talk about our project in terms of climate change and, you know, that the we're addressing climate change and we're addressing environmental degradation and things like that. But we don't, I mean, we don't really want to um, preach about that. I mean, well, in a way, I guess th- that's a, a conclusion that people might come to, but really we just want to present the soundscape and have people get to know it. And um, we don't really have to, I think, say anything because once you get to know something, um, especially something as wonderful as um the soundscape um, you you can't not care about it <laughs> yeah. you, you start to care about it and you start to be aware of it so um that's basically what we're we try to do and um,
3: I'm thinking about sort of the marathon nature of it you know that's the twenty four hours and
1: yeah
0: let's see listeners let, eight- let, no Jennifer that what well, the 24-hour nature is uh, you're talking about um, a 24-hour broadcast of the sounds of the Te- Texan Marsh uh, in British Columbia recorded, um, you know, over a 24-hour period. And it's it, now the birds and then the frogs, the whole day and night of it being broadcast on radio stations around the country that, that uh, raised their hand and volunteered to participate in this, uh, the wetland project. Um, and this year it's taking place on Earth Day.
3: Yeah, it always this, takes place on Earth Day. The Sorry, seventh go. seventh annual broadcast. And, and Brady, you were talking about, you know, this initial broadcast you sort of took over not just the soundscape show, but all the neighboring shows for 24 <laughs> hours. And that's kind of a radical concept to take over an entire radio station for 24 hours to play these sounds. So I'm curious about you know mark maybe talk about how do you pitch this to people and was there pushback
0: <laughs> yeah cuz we should well, mention that that um anyone who's listening could could perhaps uh reach out and try to participate in this wetland project by by helping or assisting or uh getting the
1: sounds onto the radio or you can listen on your own mark yeah well i mean we work through whichever networks we can find to let people know about um, our broadcast. And what most radio stations do, I think, is they just um, pitch the idea to all of the programs on the particular day, because Earth Day is always the 22nd of April. So this year it's a Saturday, which is kind of nice. It's on the weekend, but, um, you know, every year it's on a different day. And um, they, they just ask, they asked uh, the the hosts of the various uh, radio programs if they would you know be willing to um give their space to the project on on that particular day and so sometimes um a lot of radio stations have gotten everybody in agreement and decided to go for it and uh and um a lot of the station hosts have have you know um, tweeted and and um and um, kind of been involved through the whole process um, and then some radio stations there are some uh, programs that they want to keep for certain various reasons or some some stations uh, or some programs um, don't want to be preempted so we get um, that those radio stations um, just join us for certain hours during the day some of them even like start and then they go to another program and then they come back to the wetland you know there's all All those options are totally possible. I want
0: the political talk call in radio show that refuses to be preempted to just use the tech Texan Marsh soundscape as a bed under the whole (laughs) conversation, you know, keep it (laughs) keep it going.
1: Yeah, well, I think we even had one radio station that just played two minutes of the soundscape between every program. I mean, <laughs> we're kind of, we're pretty, we we, we really um, want to try to get the sounds out there to people. So we're pretty flexible about how it's done. But I must say, like, the the stations where it's been the most powerful are the ones that just go for the, the whole 24 hours. And the amount of feedback we get and they get Um is quite huge and and most of the stations that have joined us from the beginning just come back every year um which um I guess is a good sign
2: <laughs> like one of the things that might not be apparent is that uh, your pets will really love this like <laughs> uh, I I know it sounds a bit silly but um like and I know there are now YouTubes that people entertain their cats with but, uh, you, you will energize your cats and dogs listening to this because they're suddenly like, oh, you're finally playing something that means something to me too. Yeah, this makes and, sense. And that is kind of powerful because this, this idea of media and like a, as a lens that we can turn on a different subject matter and now suddenly you've turned this this object or this thing that's taking up a lot of space for you, your radio on something that you can share with with other animals, um, your pets or your animal companions. Um, it's It's expansive. like you're 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 feeling bigger um, because you're participating at a level that's beyond just human. So we we, we come back to this phrase the more than human world and re- reconnecting with that um is just so important to to get out of the two possible futures of like the matrix where we're just like a human a resource human resources and maybe like Solaris which is like we'll go out into the world we'll go out into space and try to discover new worlds and we'll just discover our own we'll just see more of ourselves mm-hmm. and this is a this is a place where you can actually find something that is more than human that is that is beyond your own experience and um, share it with your with your cat
1: and it doesn't mean you have to stop doing what i mean people uh it's a live uh, experience you live with so you can cook you can w- listen to another radio program at the same yep. time or watch tv or you know uh, drive your car it doesn't require you to sit and pay full attention it's just the fact that the slow radio it's the duration it's like the first you know half an hour you're kind of in, intrigued by it but after a certain amount of time it just infuses with your life It, it something changes and it becomes something something different and uh, i think that's where the power lies in that durational quality mm-hmm.
3: for both of you Are you listening to it each year? And what's that experience like for you on repeat listen to these sounds on the broadcast?
1: Well, I listen to it every year. Uh, I have the unique experience of having it on the radio and hearing it coming in from outside at the same time. (laughs) It gets completely mixed up. And I have no idea anymore, like, what's happening outside and what's actually in the broadcast. (laughs) It gets totally mixed up. But... um, it's it's just long enough that you can never really get a handle on it. It's just such a extensive thing that you can... Um, it's interesting in some ways that people almost seem to react to it, uh, the ones that have been coming back to it every year. Um, the fact that they're slightly familiar with it is... They, they like that. They, they're um, attracted to the sense that it's something they know. But at the same time, they can't remember, possibly remember the whole uh, 24 hours in any kind of clear way. So um, it's that combination of something you know and something that you can't know.
3: I love yeah, that. That's well, so beautiful. And, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the frogs that you both keep alluding to also. Like, that's almost like um, – the band playing their hit, you know, like I, I just, now I'm getting really excited. Mm-hmm. Like I need to listen and and anticipate this frog section that is all the rage. <laughs>
1: well, yeah. We had this one, uh, moment, um, we, um, presented, we present a um, multimedia, um, installation, five channel installation of the piece where, where we've actually done, um, um, a mix of um, the sounds uh, with an algorithm, so that the the pitch of the sound gets converted into colors, into just pure colors fields in flux, and the colors are based on the um, are based on the pitch of the sound and the color spectrum. So the lowest sounds in the recording are on the purple end of the color spectrum, and the highest sounds, pitches in the uh, recording are set to the other end of the color spectrum up at the the red end. So um, the frogs just happen to be mid-range sounds, so the the midpoint of the color spectrum is all the shades of green, so they just create all these shades of flashing green and then the high bird pitches will be like flashes of orange and yellow and red. And then an airplane going over will just completely wash out all the other colors with purple and blue. And um, so you get this kind of your um, your it's a way of here seeing peering by seeing <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, mixed in with the sounds. Anyway, we presented this in an abandoned water tower in Copenhagen um, a couple of years ago and um, the moment when um, dusk happens and the frog course begins is around 8.43 in the evening. And um, people gathered in the tower, and because the only light was created by the algorithm and the colors. And just before, um, just at, at dusk, it gets very, very quiet. And so everybody was standing in this gigantic water tower in almost in the pitch black. It was very dark, and then, at at 843, you had the first uh, first peep of a frog. So there's this little flash of green on one side of the tower and then another little peep from the other side. And then all the frogs start all at once. And the whole tower just lit up from floor to ceiling with all these flashes of green. and um, And people were just joyous. It was almost like a kind of communion. There was some kind of very strong, powerful moment that happens there.
2: You can see um, this color algorithm at work in the website version. So, um, okay. at wetlandproject.com/stream. Yeah, it um, does the
1: one, just the one-channel yeah. version of the color exchange, and the installations are five channels. So it's a, it's all around you, and the sound is surround sound. So you're hearing, you know, the birds fly over top of you and around you, and um, we're we're going to be presenting. Um, that piece in Paris in uh, on Earth Day this year. So Brady and I will actually be there on Earth Day um, this year.
2: Yeah, Jennifer, you asking about the sort of experience of it. And for the first few years, for me, it was very like a lot of just performance anxiety of, of doing the thing. Like we're, we're literally there for 24 hours, like sleeping on the floor at the radio station. <laughs> and um, and like waking up with a start, like if has it like broken or something like that. And then after that, I, I started to find this realization where I I would contrast the piece to a clock and a clock ticks. So time has been turned into these discrete chunks. Whereas I felt that the Wetland Project was a 24 hour clock where time always flowed. And I contrasted that in my mind to this, that feeling of uh, leaving a matinee movie and, you know, you go outside and it's suddenly dark and you feel like you've lost time. For me, the Wetland Project and listening to it on the, in the slow radio was the opposite of that. I never needed to look at the clock, mm-hmm. but I always knew what time of day it was in terms of its mood of the slowly sliding frame of time and how um, like the languid afternoon, the the sort of intensity of get up get up get up in the morning of the of the bird calls and then this um quite alien um sort of 90s dance rave thing for frogs um, <laughs> that i wasn't really invited to but i maybe walked by um so those those moments and for me now um like i'm a city kid but i go down to my local little um Wetland marsh, most days now, and I listen to it and I now, for me, the listening experience is is hearing the real thing slowly become this icon or this um this concrete monumental form that the wetland project is so i I went down um like yesterday, and the red wing blackbirds are starting to come uh hang out at the at this little um w- wetland in the middle of the city. And um, I'll compare that with Mark, so we'll sort of compare our wetlands in our in our minds versus the sort of reference of the of the of the recording. So every year it starts to have a different meaning for me. I think that meaning is is also changing.
0: Yeah, we're you listeners to the Wetland Project are lucky to hear the sound of the Tec-Texan Marsh out there on the island uh, in British Columbia, but there's other wetlands and they have their own sounds, and it would be uh, nice to hear everybody's wetlands uh, have their turn. The Indeed. And yes. the Especially project. a
2: Southern Hemisphere one. If you're out there and you need an <laughs> audio art project <laughs> and you want to do a Southern Hemisphere version, I would love to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was,
3: sure. and that was something, you know, I understand. We're hearing the same recording every year. Um, but that would be fascinating to hear how, how your, how this particular marsh has changed over time. And, and Mark, you have such a, it's, it's so fascinating to me that you can listen, you know, listen to the broadcast, the 24 hours while you're simultaneously listening to the live sounds of the marsh. And, (laughs) and you said you can't really discern between the two. Um, but have you speculated, like, um, do you have any speculation about how thing if things are sounding a bit different than seven uh, years ago?
1: <laughs> well, the big, I mean, the, <clears throat> I find it's not, it's, um, I mean, some years the red-winged blackbirds come earlier and some a little later. Um, it's still pretty amazing. As of you know, it hasn't really started up. Well, the breeding blackbirds have started up this year, but the frogs haven't started up yet. Um, we're, re- we're
0: recording this interview in uh, very late February, and it will air in early March of twenty
1: twenty three. Yeah, uh, so Mark, Mark,
2: people might want to know about the COVID changes.
1: That's what I was just going to okay. bring it to. The big change was uh, twenty twenty when COVID hit, and. The the omnipresent airplane sounds, which are um, so woven into um, the soundscape were suddenly completely gone, there were almost no airplanes for almost a year. And that was probably the biggest change. Um, since then, now the airplanes are back again, um, unfortunately. And probably or- because
0: we <laughs> probably did not have an opportunity to document it as thoroughly in 2020, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, but it was just obvious that the sound, that the airplane sounds were were not there. And it's funny because a lot of people have listened to the, um, people on Saturna have listened to the broadcast and said, wow, there's so many airplanes in your recording. And we're there, well, they're there all the time. You just block them out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so that comes back to the whole idea of acoustic ecology. It's our project is really about listening to the soundscape as it is to inform us about um, you know the health of our environment. And um, so we're not presenting some kind of uh, beautiful spa um, audio that doesn't really connect to <laughs> right <laughs> We have
2: been played on buses and in spas.
1: It's true, but okay. on buses is really cool. When, to, when you listen I'll, to it in movement, it's great.
0: <laughs> I'll just admit right here that uh, I find those manufactured soundscape uh, off-putting and upsetting in a way that I'm sure the natural world is is better at. There's I've been collecting some of these, uh, especially the '90s CDs, the new age soundscapes mm-hmm. that are that are mimicking the natural world, but doing so in a really uh uh off-putting way. It's not real. It's not <laughs> it's it's a it's a mix of lots of sounds. It's it's being done in a lab. It's being done in a sound lab, not not in yeah. a not in a marsh.
2: I'm not sure how much time we have left, but I have a, I have a story that could continue that idea if you, if you want yeah, to hear it. Yeah,
0: we, th- we have about a minute left for the radio
2: audience. Okay. Um, we presented this piece, like Mark was saying, in Copenhagen, and um, just to, to highlight perhaps that difference in terms of, of the wetland, um, sorry, the soundscape tradition and how the people in the Pacific Northwest here um, have changed listening behaviors or their conception of what composition is. Um, when we were presenting the uh, Wetland Project in Copenhagen, the people, uh, there was one, we did a talk back and um, uh, an audience member asked us about the how, how we placed the sounds. and um, As
0: if you were in control.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, the idea, perhaps the European notion of uh, composition is that, you know, you have to have control. You have to place each sound. And and I mean, we could validly say, how can we claim auth- authorship of this? We we don't. We're presenting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're transmitting it. But yes, this idea that we actually placed every red wing blackbird call <laughs> in some kind of correct position is completely not what we're doing we we're, <laughs> we're, we're listening to it in its perfectly correct position and yeah. um and and sort of celebrating that diversity of um richness that that the result of that process of all these living forms exploring acoustic niches and filling them and listening at the same time and uh that's that's the beauty that's the the um aesthetic criterion that that is explored and uh replicated or, or re-energized through this work uh, it's definitely not the idea that we know where um where these sounds should happen or well, yeah, we
1: like to done. we like to call it a life affirming experience really um that's really all what we try to do <laughs>
0: Well, Mark Timmings and Brady C.L. Marks, you both run the Wetland Project. And if people want to learn more, they can visit your website, wetlandproject.com, or you know find out more at our website, radiosurvivor.com, for the show notes for today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today on Radio Survivor. Thank you so much for
2: inviting us. And I believe we're now speaking to the podcast audience.
0: Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. going to take the privilege of the first podcast question. I didn't want to bring it up because it's so um, it's kind of, it's almost mean spirited because I I love your project and I love what you're doing. And, but it's, it's challenging, challenging the notion of it's, Jennifer brought it up. It's, it's six years in the past now, the recording, and it's not like the, the ideal version would be live, right? Live, Mm -hmm. the live event that, that the moment you're listening to your radio, you're hearing, you're hearing the, Texan Marsh, right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Has there been a temptation to to re-record or to shift (laughs) it around? Um, Yeah, not to mention the uh, the day that it happens is the weather. I'd love to hear a rainy day. Right, harder Mm -hmm. to record on a rainy day, but it would be really cool to hear the difference. And it would especially have been really neat to hear the um, the the twenty twenty. The very beginning of COVID lockdown in the United States in North America—that uh, would be a great, a great historical record of the Texan tech, tech, Marsh, uh, Brady. So let, let me try
2: answer that because it's it's definitely on our minds. So, firstly, the origin of this work in some way is this tradition that I described earlier, but also a a work that Bruce Davis, uh, part of the World Soundscape Project. Um in nineteen seventy six, was it sixth 75, 75, 75. think, yeah. And he called it uh, wilderness radio, which is this, exactly this point to have a live broadcast. And he called it also coming to the the thing you picked up, Eric, about um it going in reverse from the um, this idea of the important stuff happening in the city to the to the rural area. It's the other way around. So he called it um Radio that listens in rather than broadcasting out mm-hmm. and speaking to that legacy of broadcast medium um, sort of dark history there. So um, yes, we kind of wanted to do that, and we have there's it it might happen. That's all I'll say for now. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: but then again, the monumental part, the fact that it is a solid reference. A solid reference that you, you can't really encompass, right? No one can remember every part of it. And, right. and when people listen to it a year lo- lo- later, um, it does have that effect of being live, even though it's not. And, and coming back to the Yule log, which is, you know, clearly not a live camera on an actual fireplace, yeah. it's probably like a 30 second loop it's become very interesting also answering that question of like how did how does how does it change my listening habits coming back to it every year or what what do I get out of it every year yeah so I I do I do want to do a new one um this project we didn't know it would keep going for this long it's uh we like we, Mark said, we're taking it to Paris in, um, in April. We just did a, a, a book version, which seems very strange. Like, how could this project turn into a book? We're very excited how that turned out. So sometimes you do a few projects, and some of them just keep um, re- reinvigorating themselves. And I think that's what's happened with this project.
3: Well, I certainly love the Yule Log, generally. I even wrote a Radio (laughs) Survivor piece kind of comparing different televised Yule Logs, so I've thought about the Yule Log maybe more than a lot of people. Um, So it makes sense to, like, revisit the same piece every year, and I I don't know of a 24-hour Yule Log. Some of them are longer than a 30-second loop. I I like the Yule Logs that have a much longer loop than 30 seconds. I find those to be really (laughs) not very satisfying.
0: Yeah, and Mark, I'm going to not let you go, right? Because I want to say that my favorite slow media, I think that probably has leaked into the popular culture is um, uh, uh, Nick Offerman drinking whiskey in front of the fire on Netflix, (laughs) um, which is slow media and um, uh, might have a a bigger impact than even we know. Uh, But Mark, you're going to keep us on topic.
1: Just uh, to continue the answer to your question about... um, about not having a a new broadcast every year, I guess, besides the the kind of obvious restraint, which is budget, because it it was a fairly expensive process. We should acknowledge the
0: work, again, (laughs) the work that goes into recording a 24-hour, high-quality, 24-hour, five-channel stream out in the middle of... uh, a place that's full of uh, water and bugs and uh, hooked sunlight. up to car batteries. <laughs> yeah, a lot of work. Yeah. Work was work was performed,
1: but beyond that, there um, we consider this to be a work of art. And yeah. as a work of art, a work of art needs a frame, and so our frame is the are those specific twenty four hours. So um, we had no idea that this would go beyond one year. We thought we'd be doing this uh, you know, broadcast one year and that'd be that, but the, um, the Wetland Project really at this point in time has a life of its own. I mean, we just try to keep up with all the various things. The book idea came out of a publisher asking us to do a book which we kind of at first thought, we don't want to do a book. Like how could we do a book about sound, right? So it's actually a book you can listen to Um, and um, just all these various iterations have come out of it. And we've been connected with so many um, interesting people who have written about um, the project from so many different angles, including, uh, um, we had a um, couple of indigenous writers who wrote about soundscape from some um, really interesting, I guess, new for us ways of thinking about it, but not really new uh, for them at all. Um, and um, yeah, so it's been, it's been a journey. We, I think we've, we've learned a lot from, from, from it.
2: Yeah. I listen to a lot of radio and my, my least favorite radio is artists talking about art. <laughs> And I just wanted to say something <laughs> to other artists out there because I I know sometimes sometimes you hear um, artists who are are talking about their artwork and there's sort of this assumption assumption that it's it's um, it's like somehow valid uh, glorification of of the artist and I kind of bristle at this because many artists will if they're being honest will just tell you that a successful piece is quite a lucky thing and i think this piece does speak to that it's the the piece has found its audience this piece has found its time and it speaks to a contemporary moment you know it's Um, funny
0: um did you have more to say i'm sorry i was gonna say
2: that's that's the that's the kernel go for i was
0: gonna say that my take on what we just did and how I thought of it the entire time was not once that Mark and Brady were celebrating their artwork, but that Mark and Brady were celebrating the artwork of the Tech Texan Marsh's sound, that mm-hmm. you're not the author and you've put no. in a lot of work and you deserve credit for your work, but the but but the artwork is is, uh, is bigger than the ideas. Um by the nature of what you did, so yeah, I didn't get the impression that you were, a, yeah, an artist. I just, about your just art. as
2: an inspiration to to people out there, like you're listening to the podcast of the long version of an hour long show. Whoever you are, right there, you're a beautiful person who really loves listening, and and if you're thinking that. um there's something special that we've done or that we're special people you're just as special a, as we are and you are probably doing amazing things and just please keep going because um any any success or uh, uh acknowledgment or or verification that you that you need to keep going is is i wouldn't say it's guaranteed to come but it's it's not really you can't really control it too much so just Enjoy the work mm. and enjoy the process of it, rather than because it's just it's just really lucky lucky that this piece has resonated, is what I'm trying to say. And um, it's it's not like Beyonce is probably a special person, but <laughs> she also probably got really lucky. <laughs> I mean, you know? I, either, do you know what I'm saying? i I'm, <laughs> I'm just I just want to just acknowledge that because I do listen to like, we have the show on, on CBC called Q and they, they really feel like this need and all those magazine art shows, like there's a lot of like putting people on, on a,
0: on a certain pedestal. And we're going to stop everything and talk about the radio show Q, like just like <laughs> yeah. a screeching halt to criticize. I've been dying to, to <laughs> spew all of my dumb takes about the radio show Q for years. Uh, but As they go, it's pretty good. <laughs> I haven't, um, I haven't listened in a while because they, they stopped broadcasting it after a certain event that you'll be familiar with. If you oh know, yes, thank okay. you. Um, yes, but I, I, I think anyway. Brady, that was really wonderful because what you just enunciated so clearly to all sound artists or listeners is something that we've tried for our whole history of doing this work to, to get out there and even to figure out ourselves. Like we want people to. To like things and to work on things for other reasons, other than thousands and thousands and thousands upon thousands of listeners find out about you and throw money at you. We want, we want to make sure that, you know, especially podcasters, but also community radio producers are aware of the value of what they're doing mm-hmm. um, without worrying about the metrics of success that we're currently forced yeah. to be obsessed with.
3: We're here so, for the love of radio and yeah. sound.
2: Right. So for example, mm. a shift in your listening past, um practices is an amazing thing. Like you'll, someone will say to you, how can you listen to that? And you're like, oh, I'm quite actually interested in it. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: That means that you have your 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 interest or your sphere or your, your concern has expanded and I and I hate to repeat myself again, but this idea of 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 becoming bigger, that's that's the core of this idea of or, right? Like a w e awesome or or is this connection with something bigger than yourself. And if you're able to listen to something that is not uh, particularly made for a, a narrow audience or as a small type, then then you are becoming more awesome. Yeah, anyway.
3: thank you Bob for those. <laughs> thank you for those words. I think I think that brings to a close the podcast version of our show, and I'm so pleased that. Um, mark timmings and Brady marks that you were able to join us as we resumed the radio survivor show so yeah thank you. Should,
0: i don't <laughs> think we celebrated just how nice it is to be back jennifer and i <laughs> have would like to say again that it's just wonderful to podcast and it's uh thanks for listening and maybe maybe we'll do it again sometime <laughs> I, <laughs> I hope, hope so
3: <laughs> all right thank you so much it's uh, been lovely
0: thank,
1: thank you, you
0: that wraps it up for the podcast you can email us our email address is podcast at radiosurvivor.com mark on today's show emailed us at, or uh you reached out to the to the producers of the radio show and had to email us twice so be persistent if you want to hear back from us we always love to hear from you and uh, if we can filter out the spam successfully we'll we will respond to all of our messages sent to the program in good faith uh, we love our listeners here on Radio Survivor. It's a podcast, and you listened to this podcast either at the website, radiosurvivor.com, or on your podcatcher of choice. Do they still call them podcatchers? I'll have to ask Paul rees Mandel when I get the chance. Uh, on behalf of Jennifer Wades, who produced today's episode, my name is Eric Klein. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week on the radio, and hopefully we'll be back with more episodes of the podcast here uh, in the years to come. (laughs) Because we took some time off, and uh, you know that here in in podcast land. Uh, But we love you, and we're glad to be back.